For those of you that don't know me, my name's Tom. I'm 21. Um, I am on the Equip program. I'm a second year, so I get to bustle the first years around. Joking, just a power trip. Um, and I am engaged to the lovely Hannah, who's sat somewhere. Um, we're getting married in six months, um, so a little bit excited about that. Um, but I am so excited to talk to you tonight because I have been given the topic of purpose. Purpose. I mean, purpose can really mean a lot of things. Purpose can have lots of different definitions. Um, so I think it would probably be helpful if I helped you understand what I mean when I say the word purpose. To me, purpose, as a Christian, and I know there might be some people in here that are not Christians, but to a Christian, I think pur- what purpose means is that the very, the, the, when you were born, the first time you were brought into existence, there was something that was attached to your life, there was something that God gave you, something that God designed for you to fulfill. And I think in life it can be really, really easy to kind of pursue things that maybe weren't designed for us. And this whole series is uh, called Deny. And so I've titled this talk, Take a Higher Way. And how does purpose fit into the whole Deny series? Well, like I said, it's really easy for us to pursue things that might not be designed for us. It might really, it'd be really easy for us to try and do things that weren't meant for us. And I think what, if we allow God into the process, we start to get a bit of clarity and we start to see where he might be able to take us. And this whole talk sits on two different scriptures. The first scripture is in uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19. It should come up on the screen. It says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, the thing that I want you to focus on in that scripture is this particular part that says, um, you were bought at a price. This bit right at the bottom here. You see, it was never about what you could do on your own. It was always about what God could do through you, what God could do with you. The thing is, is that our purpose, the thing that God has designed us for isn't imposed on us. He doesn't force that on us. It's not something that that we have to do. God does this with us, but we need to believe that as Christians that we, we, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God, and I think that when we start to realize that and allow God into our situations, that can really change things for us. And the second scripture, um, we're not going to go straight into it, but I'm just going to describe it really quick t- to you. It's in Matthew 19. Um, and it is verse 16. And it says, uh, well, I'm not going to read it to you, but it's about this guy called the rich young ruler. We're going to read this scripture in a little bit, but it's the rich young ruler. And this guy has an encounter with Jesus. He has a conversation with Jesus where he says, Jesus, I really want to follow you. I really want to, you have something that I need and I really want to follow you. What is it that I must do in order to follow you? What is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to find in myself to follow you? And Jesus responds, and we're going to figure out what he says in a little bit, but what Jesus, the way that Jesus responds ends up that, that this guy walks away from the situation not really knowing God, and it's quite a challenging, sad story. But I've had a couple of experiences like this, this guy, this rich, young ruler. We never actually figure out his name. I've had some experiences like this. When I was 12 years old, I was obsessed with Formula One. It's a little bit boring nowadays, but I was obsessed with it. Michael Schumacher was around. I don't know if anyone knows who Michael Schumacher is. He was the person that just won everything. Um, And I was about 12, and I'd always watched it with my dad. 
And I decided that, you know, I wanted to try and make a go of this. I wanted to try and see if I could get there. I was quite an ambitious kid. I thought maybe, you know, let's give it a whack. Let's have a go. I want to become a Formula One driver. And so at 12 years old, I ran to my dad. And, and I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, I really want to try go-karting. Now, go-karting is where all Formula One drivers start out. That's where they kind of start as kids. That's where they start to, to find out whether, you know, they're good enough to, to reach Formula One. Um, I've got some photos, but let me just, before these photos go up on the screen, I'm going to have to warn you, 12-year-old Tom did not make great fashion choices, <laughs> okay, especially in the hair department. Can we put the first slide on the screen? You're going to see fringy Tom. Look at that egg-shaped fringe. Honestly, I don't know what... I mean, my parents must not have loved me, or they really enjoyed laughing at me, because um, that just really wasn't a great decision. Um, and, and it's quite painful to look at, but that particular picture um, is where I spent most of my time when I was around 12, 13 years old. That is in the awning uh, where we used to keep our go-karts before we went out to race. Now, these go-karts, they're not normal go-karts that you can get from when you kind of, uh, you know, you go to a friend's birthday party. These things are brutal. I remember the first time I ever sat in a go-kart, um, and I put my, I, I sat down, I thought, you know what, I've got this, I've got this. And I put my foot down, and I screamed like a girl, because this thing was brutal. This was absolutely brutal. But this probably represents one of the most exciting times I had in my life. This was a really good time in my life. Can we go to the next picture, please? Um, I spent a lot of my time doing this. Um, I, I wasn't great at go-karting, guys. I loved it, but I wasn't great. Um, my first ever race, I'd kind of got, you have to get a license to race, so I got my license. My first ever race um, was at this track, actually, in this picture. Um, and it was raining, so it was a little bit darker and a little bit wetter than what's in that picture. Um, and all the rookies, so the people that were in their first season, start at the back of the grid. So you've got a car, uh, well, a grid of about 30 people, and you're at the back with the rest of the newcomers. And, I, and I'm sat there. It's raining. I'm ready to go. I'm really nervous, to be honest. And I'm sat there, and this guy pulls up next to me in his car, and he kind of looks like he knows what he's doing. Um, and on the back of his car, you have number plates on your car. It said GP. Now, if you've got GP on your cart, that means you're the British champion. So my first ever race, the British champion of go-karting, was sat right next to me on a wet grid. Now, the reason I'm talking about it's wet is because it's really slippy and it's way harder to drive a 70-mile-an-hour go-kart when you're 12 years old. Um, and so I thought, but most people would think, you know, the British champion's next to me. I'm going to let him do his thing. I'm going to let him kind of just go right past me when we start because I don't want any trouble. Not me. That's not what I thought. I thought, I'm going to have this guy. Like, I'm, I'm going to have him. Like, so we got round. So you do a rolling start with go-karts. So you kind of do like a lap around the track, and then you'll floor it on the first corner. And so I floored it, and we get to the, about the second or third corner, and I get to the top, and I'm waiting for him to break, because this is the prime overtaking zone, right? This is where, this is where it happens. If I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him now. And so I, I'm waiting. I'm watching him. I'm literally staring at him as I'm going, not really looking what's in front of me. And I turn around and I look at the corner and it's getting closer and closer. And I turn back at him and he's still not breaking. I look back at the corner, it's getting closer and he's still not breaking. And I'm starting to panic. I'm starting to get into a place where I'm like, right, this is going to get really dangerous really quick. And then he broke. I was like, stomped on the brake. And then he went around the corner. I didn't go around the corner. 
I span out and ended up pretty much like this. Where that cart is at the top of the thing, I was sat a little bit to the left of that. Um, and that was my first ever race in go-karting. But if you fast forward about six months or so, um, we got to the summertime. And the summertime is the end of the go-karting season. And it's the last race of the season, and I go out for Saturday morning practice. And this is just kind of like casual. You're trying to feel your way around the track for the weekend. Like this is just, it's not, it's not supposed to be really competitive. And I go around the first, first corner. If we can go into the next, I look a bit better here, but that's because you can't see my face. Um, but it, what I'm going to describe to you in a moment is that I'm on this particular corner on this weekend. This is the first corner of the track. And it kind of goes like an S. So you go in left and out right. Um, and this particular corner is flat out. And now I'm 12 years old, and these go-karts go 70 miles an hour. And when you're this close to the floor, that feels like a flipping rocket. I'm telling you now, like it feels like you're flying. And so when you go into this corner, it's quite scary. I always used to get scared and lift off. But for this particular time, I didn't. And so I went into this corner flat out, and I noticed halfway through this corner, literally where I am in that photo, that someone is on the inside of me, that they're trying to overtake me, but he can't turn quick enough. He can't turn quick enough. He's understeering. And eventually he ends up on top of my car with his foot on the accelerator. His wheel was on my leg. And so I didn't really notice till I got out the car when the car was trashed what had happened. Because I looked at my leg. Well, I was actually more concerned about my hand because he went over my hand as well and burst all the blood vessels in my hands. My hand was inflated. It was like a balloon. Um, and then the guy at the side of the track said to me, do you want to go to an ambulance? And I was like, nah, I'd be fine. Just trashed the car, innit? Um, and then I looked down at my leg and I was like, actually, mate, <laughs> like, yeah, might need to do that um, because he burned the skin all off my calf and I had rubber stuck in it and it got infected really quick. And I sat in A&E, and this was the last time I ever raced a go-kart. Because I knew that this was something that I really enjoyed doing, but it wasn't something that I was great at. It probably wasn't designed for me. It probably wasn't the thing that, was, you know, that, that I was supposed to do. And I sat in A&E whilst I'm getting my hand checked over, and I'm getting my leg cleaned. And I'm thinking to myself, this, I need to make a decision here. Because I could continue trying to do something that I wasn't great at, but I enjoyed doing, but it wasn't really designed for me. And I could never really know what my life was actually meant for. Or I could, I could, I could, you know, I could continue trying to do that. Or I could try and find something else. I could try and see if there's something else for me. And that's what I chose. I chose to walk away from go-karting. That was the last time I ever raced a go-kart. That Crash particularly cost us over a, like about 1,500 quid to fix. And you don't really have insurance in go-karts, so it was all on us. So not only was it expensive, I was rubbish at it. So it was time to just call it quits. And so I kind of sat in this weird space for about four or five, six years until I turned 18. And at the age of 18, I decided that the career that I wanted to pursue was that I wanted to become a pilot. I thought that that was something that was really going to fulfill me and that that's what I wanted to do with my life. And so I, I, I had, really I was at a crossroads, right? I was at this point where I could either become a pilot, and to do that, I need to go to America and learn how to fly planes, fly planes over the Grand Canyon. Sounds pretty cool. Or I could go and do an internship at a church in Sheffield, everybody, Sheffield. And I know which one looked like the more attractive thing. In fact, I still hadn't got the picture, and I still tried to become a pilot. I got as far as doing all my medical tests, 
because obviously you want to be confident that the person flying a plane is medically fit. Um, and I got into the, all the tests, got through most of them, and then I remember sitting in my room reading an email from an optician. I've always needed glasses. I don't always wear them, but I've always needed glasses. And he told me that my eyes were too weak to become a pilot. And so then I'm in the same place as what I was when I was in A&E with the go-karts. Tried to pursue something, but it just wasn't going anywhere. I tried to do something that just wasn't working. And I just, I remember saying to God, like, God, what is it that you want for my life? Everything that I'm doing is not working. Everything that I'm trying to do just isn't working. It's coming short. There must be something more. There has to be something that you've got for me that I will be good at. And so I felt like the right thing to do was to probably go and do this internship in Sheffield. And let me tell you, God's path for you, God's calling, God's purpose, whatever you want to call it, that's not, not always the most attractive thing to you. I stood there and I had it right in front of me, but America was calling and planes were calling. And, you know, like it was just, I, it was, felt like the natural thing to do, but it wasn't. Sometimes it's not the natural thing to choose. And so I got to Sheffield, and this was probably a re- the really most hardest time of my life so far. I was the first time away from home. I was not really enjoying what I was doing. It was so intense. We were doing 16-hour days sometimes. Our first ever day there, we got there at 9 a.m. We left at about 2.30 in the morning. And that was frequent. And it was really, really hard. And it was something that just really I battled with and Multiple times I tried to go home. We, me, Hannah was there with me. We tried to come back to Birmingham. But God just kept putting us back in, in Sheffield in, in this internship. And looking back on that period of my life, I can just see how God's molded me into the person that he's designed me to be. And I think when you're willing enough to trust God that he's got a purpose and a, and a call for your life, regardless of what you're experiencing, I think amazing things can happen. I really believe that there is a potential attached to every single life in this room that is far greater than you think that is you're capable of. I think every single one of you has a purpose that can take you much further and to more, way more exciting things than you could have ever dreamed of for yourself as long as you trust God. And I think what, what we need to do now, guys, is we need to pick up the story of the rich young ruler because this will help us to understand this concept a little bit better. And it says in Matthew 19, 16, should come up on here. Yeah, there we go. It says, now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And the audacity of this guy, right, this next verse, he's like, yeah, but Jesus, like, I've done these things. Like, I've done this since I was young. I don't really think that this guy understood who he's talking to. He knew Jesus had something that he wanted, but I don't think he knew he was the son of God. Because Jesus knew everything about this guy. He knew everything from when he was born. So, so this guy's audacity to say, yeah, well, I've done everything. I don't think he has, but that's not the point. Because right? what Jesus says next um, is, if I can find it, it says, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Bit of a tragic story, bit of a sad story. See, in a moment, like this guy is, he knows that Jesus has something for him. He knows there is something about this Jesus guy that can unlock everything in his life. Because even though this guy is wealthy, he rules over people, he's young. He knows there's something missing. The pursuit he'd given his life, the thing that he chased, wasn't cutting it for him. Why couldn't this guy, why couldn't he do what Jesus was asking? Why couldn't he find it within himself to let go of what Jesus was asking him to let go of? I mean, it looks like a pretty tall order. Jesus is is like saying, like, sell everything, bro. Like, give away everything. That's not what's happening here. What Jesus is asking this guy to give away is the one thing, the singular thing, that is stopping him from becoming everything that Jesus knows he can be. He'd built his entire life around wealth and authority. If we can put the next slide up, uh, it should say it's in the name. We never know this guy's name. We never figure out who this guy is and, and what his actual birth name is. This, this story is recorded in most of the Gospels, so it's not just in Matthew. And, and we not once know his name. Why do we never find out his name? Like, it seems like just a simple thing. I think it's done intentionally. I think the readers have left this out on purpose because I don't think even he knew what his name was anymore. He'd got so lost in his pursuit of wealth, authority, and, 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 and his position that he'd forgotten who he was. So what does this mean to you guys? Because, you know, all, at the moment, all I've done is tell you a sad story. Well, really, what this means to you guys is that we're no different to this guy. It's so easy for us to pursue things in life that aren't designed for us. And what I'm not saying is that what we can, you know, that what we have, if we have lots of money or if we pursue something, that that's wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's not about what we have. It's about what we do with what we have. Are we protecting it? Are we allowing Jesus into the equation? Or is it all us? Are we controlling our own lives? How much influence are we giving these things over us? Are they coming above Jesus in our lives? Is this one thing that that your life is kind of consumed with? Is that above Jesus? And then is Jesus like fourth on your list? Because let me tell you, unless Jesus is first, unless Jesus is the priority, you're really not going to find what he has for you. And I am desperate for every single young person in this room to know what Jesus has for them. There is a potential on your life. There is a calling on your life that is far greater than anything you could think of for yourself. Jesus has put something on you. There is something that you haven't discovered yet. And if you just allow Jesus into the equation, everything changes. You see, the rich young ruler found it too much of a big sacrifice. He found it too scary to let go of what he'd given his life to. But that's because he didn't know who Jesus was. If you're a Christian, then I hope you know that Jesus loves you and that you are never far, too far gone 
for him to turn things around. If something is in your life that's taking priority, it's not too late. It's never too late because the, all you have to do is just say, Jesus, I need to let go of this. Can you help me? Can you help me let go of this one thing that's stopping me from being everything that you've called me to be? And as Christians, for those Christians in the room, we believe that that thing that God has for us is probably better than anything we could think of on our own. And I don't want you guys to miss out on that. This is the last threads of the year. This is the last moment where we meet until New Year. When cruise starts again, not even threads. I don't want you to go into the new year without knowing that Jesus wants you to uncover what you have attached to your life. I just, I, I can't get away from that, guys. I can't stop thinking about the things that you guys could do. The things and the people that you could meet. The friends at school that need to know Jesus, the family members you're praying for that don't know Jesus yet. Those, those are things that can change, but that's, that's just the beginning. Okay, where you go, not even I can tell you where you go. I haven't got a clue. Only Jesus knows. Only Jesus knows where you are going to end up. And I believe that's a really incredible place. To help me move on to the next point, I'm going to introduce you to some uh, pretty incredible people. About three years ago, my dad uh, decided to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. This is in Africa. And um, to give you a bit of context, Kilimanjaro, not all of its body is on the surface. A lot of it is underground. But if it was all on the surface, it would be taller than Mount Everest. So this is a huge mountain. It's about 20,000 feet tall, which is... Um, just shy of where aeroplanes fly. And it takes you between anywhere from one week to two weeks to climb it. And my dad decided to do this. And when he got there, he met a group of people that they call porters. They're people that help you get up uh, the hill. They are locals that help you to, to climb this, this mountain. This isn't Clem, right? This is, this, is, this is a huge thing, right? Lots of people die on this mountain. In fact, my dad got rushed down the mountain once he got to the top because the lack of oxygen was starting to have an effect on his brain. Like, it's a pretty dangerous thing. I've got a video. Um, if you can look to the screens, I was just going to show you a little bit about the porters. So these are the people that I'm talking about. Um, they carry your stuff to the top of Kilimanjaro, and they go ahead of you, and they set up your camp, so that you can sleep and eat the moment you get there. They carry about 25 kilograms added onto their back up a 20,000-foot mountain. One of those guys in the video has climbed that mountain 350 times. He's climbed a 20,000-foot mountain 350 times. And what most people see is the bit where you get to the top. They never really see the bit in between where you spend two weeks climbing. And you don't become a porter just by accident. You become a porter, someone who can take somebody up a mountain by just learning how to put one foot in front of the other. Day after day, minute by minute, second by second. And eventually you get to the point where you can do what they can do. But I wonder if we look at purpose like that. We look at it like we kind of just think one day it just kind of plops down. 
And, 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 you know, it's like that mountaintop experience. We see all these people that have climbed Everest, Kilimanjaro. We see them at the top. We don't see what's in the middle or what's at the bottom. You don't see the porters. These porters, since they were kids, have been learning how to walk long distances just so that they can get up this mountain. Your calling isn't or your purpose isn't built just in a moment. It's built on a day-by-day investment where you allow God into your situation. You put one foot in front of the other. You get to school. You get to home. You speak to your family and you start praying for your family. You start praying for that lonely kid at break that you see every single day that doesn't really speak to anyone. You pull them into your friendship group because you allow God to prompt you to, to do that. You, make, you, you, you find out what your purpose is, not like by getting to the top of a mountain. You do it by just putting one foot in front of the other every moment of every day. You see, your day-by-day situation can become your future, can become your purpose when you allow God to get a hold of you. When you make room in your life for God to try and get into every single day. When you wake up and you know you say to God, like, God, help me to do today with you. Help me to see people that need you. Help me to invest in people. Help me to pray for people. Help me to be the person that you have designed me to be. That's where your purpose is built. You don't, fit, you don't just randomly end up. It's not a destination. It's right now. The things that I've been talking about all night, the things where I've said you've got a great potential, you know, there's, there's, there's things that you're going to experience that you could never dream of, that's right now as well. If we can put the slide up on the screen, the next one. Heart in the present, mind in the future. Start asking God to convict your heart right now and he'll prepare you for the future. The things that are are attached to your life that I've been speaking about, that happens when you allow God into the everyday situations. I don't want you guys to leave this place without feeling that, like, that God is going to do something in your life next year, right now. When you see your family tonight, when you go back to school before you finish, or when you go back in January. I don't want you to leave and, 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 and not hear that God really wants to, to do life with you. He really wants to partner with you in your every day so that eventually you look back in about six months and you think, how the heck did I get here? I once said I never wanted to preach. Look where I am right now. I first preached when I was 17 years old. Andy asked me to, to, to do like a 15-minute talk at New Wine, which is a big conference. And I really, really pooed my pants. Because honestly, I got up and like this, I just did this the whole time. I shouted at people. <laughs> and I did this. I can be a porter that climbs Kilimanjaro because of that preach. Honestly. But... I once said that I could never preach. And I look back, and that was about five years ago now, and look what God's done. This is what I feel like my purpose is, and I'm trying to figure it out as I go, and, I, and, and I'm allowing God to get into my every day and my every moment, and God's doing something. I haven't planned this. And you're not going to be able to plan your, your purpose either, but God's going to reveal it to you if you just allow him. And we're going to move into the final point. So the band could come back up for me. Just move the slide on for me, please. It says, dare to believe. 
dare to believe. In the scripture that we read about the rich young ruler, there's a part just after where I read in Matthew 19.25. I think I've got the scriptures on, on slides. So basically what's just happened is, it, is that this, the rich young ruler has left the scene. He's gone. He's disappeared. And Jesus has just said basically to, to everyone around him that he thought he could save himself, but he can only be saved through me. And that might be a weird concept to you, especially if you're not Christian. But don't switch off. Because regardless of whether you're a Christian or not in this room, I still believe that God has a purpose for you. You might not see that yet, but that's okay. This is a safe place. I hope that maybe you just have a question in your mind that makes you think, maybe I do. And that you'd follow that up. And that you'd come to cruise, and that you'd come to the things that we put on just to figure out if maybe that's true for you too. But, but then in, in, in 25, after Jesus has said this, it says, When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? And then in 26, which is the next slide, it says, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then this is really interesting. In verse 27, Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? In other words, what Peter is saying is, Jesus, we've done what you've asked. What is it that you're going to do with me? What is it that you're going to show me in life? What is the point in all of this? What's the point, Jesus? Where are you taking me? And Jesus' response, I'm going to paraphrase it, basically says, if you dare to believe, Peter, if you dare to believe if you dare to believe that I can do incredible things through you if you dare to believe that 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 passion and that dream on your heart that just pops up now and again can become a reality because you start to do things with me then Peter that's going to happen It's the same for you. You let God get a hold of your life and trust Him to guide your path, to involve Him in the process when you decide that maybe you want to pursue something and not protect it and keep it away from God and not put it above God, not prioritize something else. That maybe, just maybe, if you dare to believe, Something might just happen with your life and you'll look back and you'll think, I trusted God. I just, I trusted you, God, and look where I am now. You'll never be more content. You will never be more fulfilled when you are smack bang in the middle of what God has designed for you. I was, I was quite an arrogant teenager. Like I thought that, you know, even when I was preaching, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna be like one of those big preachers. The ones that like get all the followers on Instagram and all that. But, but God like did something in me. When I let him in, even the thing that was right for me, even the thing that I was pursuing that was right for me, he still had to work on me. And I don't want us to think that we can do this on our own. 
We've got to do this with Jesus. The only way we find out what the right thing for us is and we deny the purposes that aren't designed for us is we just do it with Jesus. We're going to pray. We're going to go into response time. There's going to be two things that we do. There's going to be leaders at each corner of the room. If the leaders that volunteered earlier to do that, could you move to those sides for me? On this side of the room over here, we're going to pray for people that feel as though things are getting in the way of them being everything that they feel Jesus wants them to be. They're going to, that's what we're going to pray for over there. We're going to pray to help for you to get Jesus in the right place in your life to get him above all things, to get him as number one priority so that you can start to discover what he has for you. There's no more beautiful thing than that. And then in that corner over there, we're gonna pray for people that need the courage to dare to believe, that need to stir up the faith inside of them, to believe that God can do more in them than they can think up on their own. And if that's not for you, that's fine. Don't switch off. Just stay in this moment. This is where, like, this. If God, if God doesn't do anything right now, then all of this was pointless. And God's presence is here, and He wants to interact with us, regardless of whether we respond in corners or not. So I'm going to pray, and then if you go into the corner that you feel is most relevant for you, if that's something that you feel like you need prayer for. And I'd encourage you to do that. So let's just clarify. That corner is where you need the courage to dare to believe. To believe that God can do more in you. And that corner is where people are struggling to allow God to become number one in their life. They're like the rich young ruler who struggled to sacrifice something and ended up walking away from Jesus and walking away from everything. So I'm going to pray. Father God, purpose is a beautiful thing I thank you for that gift I thank you so much that you gave that to us and that we get to do life with you that we're not just here existing for the sake of existing we have a purpose and it fulfills us but also people are changed as a result of it Father as we kind of just go into business with you now I really pray that what you do in in the young people's hearts is exactly what you need to do to get them to discover what you have for them. That one thing that you have created for them. Just be with us now, Father. In the mighty name. Amen. The band are going to play, guys. So as they start to play, make your way to whatever corner you feel relevant. Or if you, if you don't,